how are you guys doing today? Awesome. That's great. It's so funny. I've been to Vienna before, and it's actually one of my favorite places to visit. I love the weather. It's great. In the U.S., everyone thinks about like California, you know, it's sunny. I, I was born in London, and uh, I lived a lot of my life in Seattle, and the weather is just like this. So I love it. Because, you know, as a startup, when the weather sucks like Vienna, no offense, that means you're going to work more. You work more, you make more money. If it's nice and sunny, you want to go outside, you're not going to work, you don't make as much money. It's the same reason why you guys all play a lot of online poker during the winter. <laughs> So, all right, let's get started. Today, I'm going to teach you guys all about growth hacking. You guys all familiar with the term? All right. Well, now you'll actually know how to do it for your business. I'm going to give you actionable tips. My Twitter handle, they also have a Twitter handle here. I have no idea what it is, but you can use theirs as well. Before we get started, I want to tell you one quote from a guy named Adam Nash, and it's very important, which growth is important, and all Good companies take it seriously. You're not going to increase your revenue, your traffic, your sales, unless you take growth seriously. For example, you know Facebook? You know what their internal metric when they first started out was? How many more users were they adding per day? And they weren't just looking at it as a pure number. So if they had 1,000 users the first day, and the second day, they had another 1,000 users. And then the third day, they had another new 1,000 users. That's slowing growth. Percentage-wise, you're not growing as fast. So their goal was to grow a faster percent than the previous day, right? If you take growth seriously, you can actually do quite well. But there's three main things you need to know before you start hacking your way into growth. One, who are your customers? If you don't know who your customers are, there's no way you're going to actually make any money. It was funny. When I created Kiss Metrics with my co-founder, we're just like, yeah, we're an analytics company. Anyone who has an online website is going to pay us. That is our customer. We failed miserably when we did that marketing approach. Why? Everyone is not our customer. The local shop on the corner that sells pizzas is not our customer right? It's not useful. You got to be very targeted. For us, it was companies that do at least roughly, what, 7, 8 million euros a year, and they're in e-commerce or software as a service or subscription. So you got to get very particular. How do you reach your customers? Do you reach them on Twitter, Google, Facebook, whatever it may be? You got to figure out what channels your customers are actually using. And most importantly, when you're trying to do growth, you can't just look at the most popular channels. These channels get crowded very fast. Now, let me give you an example of this. You guys all know Dropbox, right? So when Dropbox first started out, they're worth over 10 billion US dollars now. That's a lot of cash. But when they first started out, did you know they actually tried to acquire customers on Google AdWords before they tried doing any growth hacking or anything? What's the problem with that? Well, their product is only $99 a year. When they were trying to acquire customers off of Google, they were spending $233 to $388. Do those economics work out? No, not at all. Why not? One, they're paying way more than the customer's paying them. 
And two, just because a customer is paying them $99 doesn't mean they make $99. There's cost for that customer. There's support costs. There's development costs. There's cost to host their files, right? So what do Dropbox do? They realize that paid ads don't work for them. But they realize that they can hack their way into growing. So they did this thing in which they did a distribution hack. Want more space on Dropbox? Invite some friends. Tweet it out. Connect it to your iPhone. Refer a friend, right? When you, they started doing all of these things, it actually worked. Now, I myself, I'm uh, Indian, Asian in descent, in which uh, Indians are very frugal, right? I have a lot of Twitter followers. I myself was so cheap that I didn't want to spend $99 a year on Dropbox that I myself tweeted out to over 100,000 people. It works. That's kind of silly of me. I should have just paid the $99 because eventually after I did all the tweeting and stuff, I still use up all my free space, so I had to spend the $99. But they got me to do it. Why? Because they was like, hey, click a button. It's really simple. You'll get more space. I was like, okay, more space. Yay. Right? It works out for them, and it worked out for me. It was a great distribution hack. So there's five strategies that I'm going to teach you. One, integrations. Two, emails. Three, embeds. Four, powered by badges. And five, free stuff. Now let's get started. Integrations, right? Are you down with other people's platform? The more people out there that you can target, right, the bigger your market, that means there's someone else already out there with those customers. For example, if you're targeting a very small niche, there may not be a lot of other businesses with your exact customer base. But if you're going after something broad, someone out there who's not a competitor also has some of your same customers. For example, Kissmetrics is analytics. A lot of our customers use Google Analytics. A lot of them use Dropbox. There's all these other tools our customers use. And instead of just saying, hey, let's do AdWords to go and get them. Let's do Facebook ads. Why not actually partner with some of these other channels? So if you look at Shopify, they have over 30,000 plus businesses paying for Shopify. Salesforce has over 100,000 businesses. These businesses may not seem like a lot of businesses, but Salesforce's customers spend a lot of money, right? They're worth, what, I think 40 plus $50 billion? That's a lot of coin. Box, over 120,000 businesses. 37 Signals has over 150. Yammer has over 200,000. Constant Contact has over 400,000. GitHub has over 1.9 million. MailChimp has over 2 million. Google Apps, over 4 million. FreshBooks, 4.5. Google Analytics, over 30 million businesses are using Google Analytics. That's a lot. Evernote also has over 30,000 people, 30 million people using them, right? And last but not least, Dropbox. Over 50 million people are on Dropbox. So what does this tell you? If you leverage their user base, you can actually grow yours. So how do you actually do these integrations? One, these integrations have to make your product better and the other person's product better. For example, Evernote has a lot of users. I sell analytics. Does it make sense for me to integrate with Evernote, a place where you just take notes? What do you think, yes or no? 
No. <laughs> it's okay. The reason it doesn't is someone who's on Evernote is just making like to-do lists. Oh, I need to do this or I need to buy groceries or I need to go to the mall today. I need to go uh, uh, put some more petrol in my car, right? They're using Evernote for that kind of stuff. We're selling to B2B. But integration with Google Analytics makes sense. Why? Because if they're using Google Analytics, we can say, hey, Google Analytics will show you or shows you what, uh, how, who came to your website, or, and Kissmetrics tells you what happened, right? In which we can actually give them more data on top of Google Analytics. That benefits them, and it benefits us. Because more people get more out of their Google Analytics, plus it allows us to get their user base, in which why market to our own user, to random people online, when we can already tap our ideal customer, right? So that's an example of an integration that benefits both parties. You also want to discover what's valuable. And you can do this by asking people. Ask your users. Ask your customers. What other services? What other products? What other tools do you use? What other websites do you go on? This will help you identify what solutions you should potentially integrate with. Because you don't want to just integrate with a business because you think it's the right fit. You want your customers to tell you, hey, this is the right fit. This is what I use. You should integrate with these guys. That way you're not wasting your time, right? I know I have problems with development, and I bet you every other startup does too. Why? There's not enough developers out there, especially good ones. So you want to make sure that you're only integrating with tools, services, products, applications, websites that your users feel that would be very beneficial. And it has to be a win-win. Once you do that, you need to make your partner pages awesome. You can't just integrate with Dropbox, Shopify, whatever it may be, and expect people to just come on board and sign up. It doesn't work that way. So when you integrate, what you need to do is a few things. One, create a partner page, letting people know that they can integrate with Shopify or Kissmetrics, or whatever it may be, right, and your product. Two, most of these big companies that have a lot of users have very popular Facebook fan pages. So what you want to do is you can create Facebook campaigns targeting their users. So people who like Dropbox, you can show them ads, and you can actually show them ads to integrate with your product. And once you start getting traction, three, you need to hit up the companies you're integrating with and try to get them to promote this integration to their user base. And you'll be shocked. They actually want to promote it. Why? Because the more integrations their users do, the longer they'll end up sticking around and paying them. So it's a win-win situation. Next, emails. You guys all log into Facebook every day? You guys use Google? Right, search engines? You know what the one thing I bet that everyone uses more than anything else? Emails, right? The world revolves around it, especially the, in the working world. Everyone has to have an email account, whether it's a Gmail or Hotmail or at Microsoft, you know, your company that you work for, or whatever it may be. Everyone has emails. If you can figure out how to tap it, you can actually get a big customer base quickly. This is how people like Facebook and Twitter grow, even currently. LinkedIn, example, right? A lot of them all grow through emails. Here's an example, right, of Podio. Put in your email. Here's another one from Yammer. Put in your email, right? Join your company's free social network. You can use it for almost anything. When people put in an email, 
Let's go next. Ah, there you go. So another one, box, right? But when people put in an email, you want to try to entice them. So for example, box says, hey, the more emails you put in of your colleagues, the more free space we'll give you, right? It's enticing them to invite their friends. Facebook knows that within the first seven days, I believe you need is either 10 or 30 friends. I believe the number could be 30. 30 friends. They know if you have 10 or 30 friends within the first seven days, you're very likely to keep using Facebook forever. So they push really hard on getting you to put in your email and inviting friends. Now, the thing with emails is you got to optimize the onboarding. It's actually not that difficult to get people to put in their emails and just say, hey, sign up, invite some friends. But if the onboarding isn't good, their, their friends aren't actually going to use a product. So a good onboarding, for example, is you sign up for Facebook and you say, all right, cool, now that you've signed up, Let's connect you with your friends. Put in your email so we can see which of your friends are already on Facebook. If none of them are, it's like, all right, invite your friends to Facebook. And then after you do that, then they say, all right, let's create your profile. Add an image. Add, you know, your info. Add your bio. Add your birthday, etc. But you've got to optimize the onboarding and continually tweak and test it. Without doing that, what you'll find is you'll get a big drop off from emails. It's all about the onboarding. It's very easy to get people to invite. And the cool part about the email addresses too is when you're doing this whole process, you don't even have to ask people for their name and email anymore. Most people, watch, look at this room. How many of you guys have a Facebook account? Raise your hand. A lot, almost everyone. How many have you a Gmail account? Almost everyone, again. How many of you have a Twitter? Again, see? You don't have to ask people for their name, email, or password. What you do is you just say, hey, sign up through Twitter, sign up through Facebook, because then they just click a button. Your conversion rate will go up by roughly 30 plus percent, which is huge, and then you can tap into all their contacts and et cetera really quickly. So that's a quick trick. Then when you're doing the onboarding, you got to let them know who should they follow. This actually helps the whole process. It creates that circle right? If you don't have that circle, there's going to be a drop-off. You got to get them to keep connecting and inviting, etc. It's a never-ending game. You also need to utilize invitations on onboarding process. Dropbox is a great example of this, right? In which they try to get you to invite more people. More people you invite, more storage you get. That's why they utilize it. You got to measure the number of people in every company or every person has in their contact list. This will help you determine what the potential you can actually go for. Because if your average user has 200 people in their contact list and they're only inviting 10 of their friends to use your service, your product, whatever it may be, that means you're not doing a good job with the invitation flow and the onboarding because you may be able to get 40, 50 of them to invite, right? Instead of them inviting only 10 people. You also need to figure out the engaging interactions in which when someone signs up, there's things that they do within the first five, six, seven days that makes them actually want to use your product, your service, and invite more people. If you can figure out what these actions are, you'll get more people to stick around for a lot longer. The next one, embeds. You've seen this one everywhere. YouTube right? 
Why do people embed these YouTube videos? Most people actually do it because they're funny. These videos are very silly. Like they'll put a picture of a cute cat. I know they're really popular in the US. Like, oh, look at this cat. It's so pretty. And then people share it. And that's how they get millions of views because everyone's embedding them. SlideShare, another example, right? You can take presentations like mine right here and share it due to the fact that it's all embeddable. When you're doing these embeds, you have to give people a reason on why they're going to embed. You can't expect someone to embed something on their website for no reason. I remember when I was uh, starting out Crazy Egg years ago. It's one of my earlier startups. And it's another analytics tool that shows you a heat map of your website. I wanted people, I was naive. When I started as an entrepreneur, I was 16. I'm 29 now, so I'm quite old. But uh, when I started out, I wanted people to embed my company's product on their website. I was like, yeah, show your data to the world. Show them you know, how much traffic you're getting. Which company would embed that? Do you guys want to show people your traffic, your sales, your revenue? Probably not, right? But there was no good reason on why they should embed it. I just wanted to do it. You can't get people to embed your product or service if there's not a good reason. People embed YouTube videos because they want to share something, whether it's informational, whether it's humorous, whether it's an emotional roller coaster. They want to share those videos because it benefits other people. It's a win-win situation in which YouTube ends up getting more traffic, plus they're providing value to other website owners. You also want to make it easy as possible to embed. Make them click a you know, box, it automatically highlights it all. They click a copy link, and they can embed it onto their site, right? Copy, paste. You can even create little widgets like, hey, have a WordPress site? Click here to get the WordPress version. Have Tumblr? Click here to get the Tumblr version. Those are all examples. You also want to track how well these embeds convert, in which just putting these embeds on people's sites doesn't mean it's going to drive more traffic. YouTube actually discovered this. When they did embeds at first, it was just a video player in which you would watch a video, and that was it. Eventually, they started rolling out features such as you embed a video on people's sites, and after they're done watching the video, they say, hey, you like this video? Here's some other videos to watch. And then you end up clicking back onto YouTube's site, and it helps them get more visitors, right? You got to optimize. You got to track. They were also testing relevant call to actions. They found that showing relevant videos were the best call to actions. But you got to figure out what works for you. Having these embeds is one thing, but getting people to actually click through, go back to your site, purchase or embed again or sign up, whatever it may be, is a whole different thing, right? You also want to optimize for search, but don't obsess about it. A lot of people, when they do these embeds, they're like, oh, we get backlinks. Do you know why backlinks are valuable? It's because you can get more search engine traffic, higher search engine rankings. What people are doing, though, with these embeds is they're actually putting keywords in there. Keywords that they want to rank for on Google. But if you end up doing this, eventually you'll become penalized. So you don't want to be too greedy. Make the call to action or the links relevant. Don't try to manipulate the search results. But instead, the more embeds you get, assuming you use relevant anchor text instead of keyword-rich anchor text, you'll notice that your search traffic will go up in the long run. Next, powered by, right? You've seen all of these powered by badges. They're everywhere. The thing about powered by widgets, badges, etc., 
is people end up clicking through on them and some will sign up. So, all right, switch. With these powered by badges, people need to know what you're powering. I remember one time when I was creating my uh, first website, it was a consultancy website. I used to provide marketing services. And I would try to get people like TechCrunch to put powered by Neil Patel. And people would be like, what the hell? Why would we put a powered by badge on our site? Didn't make any sense, right? Your powered buys need to be relevant in which if they know what's happening, for example, if you do a survey tool uh, like Campile, it goes on people's websites. People like survey powered by Campile. User voice is another example. Feedback provided powered by user voice or support powered by user voice, et cetera, right? Those are all good examples of making it very clear on what people are powering. You also need to test your call to actions. We thought that putting like powered by KISS metrics, et cetera, would be powerful. It wasn't that powerful. Instead, doing things like analytics by right, so-and-so company or conversion optimization by so-and-so company actually converted better than just putting the word powered by. Because so many people had powered by and they didn't know what they're getting. So you actually had to test it and try different ones. You need to track the views on these powered buys, the clicks, the conversions, and even the LTV. By measuring the effectiveness of it overall, you'll be able to fine tune it. Last but not least, and then we'll get into some Q&A, and I'll actually give you guys growth examples for your businesses. Free stuff. HubSpot has a grader. They actually recently went public. They're valued at almost a billion dollars. And they provide a free grader that tells you what you're doing wrong with your marketing. HubSpot says, hey, you're doing this, this, and this wrong. And they'll be like, oh, by the way, sign up for HubSpot. Very effective. It's a free tool that tells you you're screwing up, right? That's a great example of a good free tool. Another one, New Relic. How fast is your app compared to others? They do benchmarking. Another one, kits, ebooks, PDFs, all good examples of free stuff that you can end up using. When you're doing this free stuff, you need to map it out to the customer decision making, in which you can't just say, I'm going to give free marketing information and people will buy my marketing product. It doesn't always work that way. HubSpot realized companies buy their product to improve their inbound marketing, to get more leads, to get more sales. So what they did is they created free stuff that showed you what you're doing wrong and why your business isn't growing as fast. That caused more people to sign up and pay them. You also have to think about what you can repurpose. You don't necessarily want to go and create something from scratch and spend a ton of time and money on development. If you can test something that you can, that's already out there and repurpose it and launch it ghettoly, right? You're pretty much doing a minimal version. And if it starts working, then you can adapt it. Then you can make it better over time and then invest dollars into it. But you don't want to do too much of a commitment at first. You also want to educate your prospects. A lot of the best free stuff out there is ebooks and information. How to use products. How to actually get more value out of a service. Whatever it may be. Anything that benefits your user, it actually builds a lot of goodwill and it causes them to spend more money with you. Uh, tell other companies, friends about your product and service. And last but not least, you want to measure and optimize for revenue. The free stuff can convert. It can make you money. Example, Dropbox. They give you free storage. They're making money, right? A shit ton of it. Free has worked out really well for them. 
So when you're doing all of this, there's two things I want you to keep in mind. One, figure out what's best for your product. Growth hacking isn't just about driving more users. It's about providing more value, benefit to your customers. If you can do that, they'll continually use what you have to offer and tell other people about your company. You also have no excuses to make money. Just because you see companies like Pinterest, Snapchat being worth billions of dollars without making any money doesn't mean you can do that as well. Those are very rare cases. Even in the U.S., they're very rare cases. Even in Silicon Valley, they're rare cases. Focus on actually making money. That's the one thing that's valuable no matter what part of the world you are, right? So now, let's get started in some Q&A. And let's go over some questions you may have. If you also want examples of growth hacking for your business, you can tell me the type of site you have, and I can give you live examples. But first, let's have some applause for a great talk. Thank you. Good. So we have, again, two ways of questions. The digitized way, using the Pioneers app, clicking on interact and posting questions. You can also upvote questions there or the traditional way you just raise your hand and I go around. And we already have a few questions lined up. I'll highlight them. So the question is, growth hacking in B2B markets. It works extremely well in B2B and B2C. A good example of B2B is Signals. They change the name. It's a product by HubSpot in which they give you something for free. You can use a product a small bit. It helps track how many people open the emails you send them, right? And what they do is they only give you a certain amount for free. If you want more, you got to keep inviting more and more users. And every month that resets. That's how it grows. It's a great example of B2B growth hacking. Talking about examples, um, what is the best B2B growth hack you've seen recently? So that one is actually one of the best ones I've seen recently. Uh, HubSpot uses it. Wealthfront uses it. These companies are actually doubling their user base through these growth hacks in which one user that they acquire through AdWords or whatever channel they acquire the user from becomes two with this invitation process. And the trick that these guys have all learned is you reset it every month in which every month you make them invite more and more people. So once they invite it, yeah, you may give them more space or more information, but they give it to them for 30 days and then it resets back to the default and they got to keep inviting more people or pay to upgrade. <laughs> An interesting question. Why do you need my phone number when registering for Kissmetrics? So our sales team can call you and sell you on our product. <laughs> we want to get your money, so we get your phone number. We know if we call you, you're going to pay us more than if we email you. <laughs> okay. Um, um, what kind of growth hacking techniques would you recommend to boost pre-orders or crowdfunding? Uh, boost pre-orders or crowdfunding. So one thing I've actually noticed with a lot of these crowdfunding campaigns, this is actually a very unique way in which I've seen some companies offer discounts for multiple purchases. And what they've actually done within their crowdfunding campaigns is saying, hey, you know, you can spend X dollars on one pre-order or If you get five, you'll get a 30% discount. And what they say is, don't need five yourself? Well, bundle it together with your friends. Make a big order. Tell your friends about it. And it's actually been a very effective process. 
um, and you should actually check that out when you're doing the crowdfunding campaigns. Encourage people to do group buys versus doing it singularly, and you can actually try to make it if you're doing it on your own website in which they can invite a few people and share the cost and split it so that way they don't have to collect the money. Awesome. Are there any questions in the audience in a traditional way? Raise your hand if so. Oh, there, we have a winner. Can you stand up? Hey, we're a B2B analytics database. There's usually like nine to 12 month sales cycles. And anything that's really expensive has a huge sales cycle. So what I've seen is a lot of examples for quick or short, you know, less expensive sales. What if it's, you know, your average sales, 500,000, a million, nine months, 12 month sales cycle, any ideas or tips? Yeah, so with you, the way, even though your sales cycle's long, the more leads you get, the more business you'll eventually get. You would agree with that, correct? Yes, perfect. So what you would actually do is you would optimize for leads, not the sale part, because the cycle is too long. And if you're in the B2B space, the best way to actually generate leads, from what we found, is you do guest posts. So you know like there's um, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, Entrepreneur. What's an example of a business magazine in Vienna? Let's call it the Vin uh, Vienna Tribune, right? I'm going to make it up. I have no idea what you guys have here. So if I'm reading the Vienna Tribune, what, I, what you should actually do is, and this is a, a long growth hack, but it'll work. I've tested this out. So I would email the Vienna Tribune uh, author that writes there. Because not all authors on these big sites actually work for the company. Some are actually just guest contributors. I would email them. And let's say their name is John. I would say, hey, John, great article on growing you know, your business through analytics. I noticed you actually uh, didn't hit on X, Y, and Z topic. You hit on A, B, and C, which is great. But have you considered you know, modifying and talking about X, Y, and Z? Just a friendly tip. Keep up the great work. I love reading your content. Don't ask for anything. You just shoot an email over like that. Next email, you said, Next time he writes another article, John, wow, what an amazing article. I learned A, B, and C from it. Keep up the great work. I'm a big fan, right? <laughs> and you sign it your name. Cheers, Stan. <laughs> Third email you send. Hey, John, I realized you haven't actually written on A, B, and C topic. I've looked through all your posts, and I haven't found anything on it. I think it would actually be really beneficial to your fans, your followers. S just like me, right? I'm one of your fans. But I know you're busy. So if you don't have the time to write, no worries. You've already done so much for me. If you want, I can just write the article for you, <laughs> right? And what you'll find is John will be like, yeah, you would really write it for me? I'm like, yeah, I'll write it for you. I'm also going to throw in a link back to my website, but I'll write it for you. Right? You don't tell him the link part. Just write it for him. And what you'll find is he'll introduce you to the editor of Vienna Tribune or whatever the paper is called. He'll get you an account. And then from there, when you write articles, because now you can publish your own, you can link from that article. Let's say you wrote an article, you're selling analytics. So you wrote your article, 10 ways analytics can help grow your business. And then what you would do at the end of the article, you would say, hey, 
uh, click here to download the checklist. So you'd create an image, have a developer on Fiverr, right? I think that's an Israeli company, Fiverr, $5, it's cheap. And they can create a, like a PDF that has a checklist of the 10 ways it can benefit the business. And they put in a name and email to get that on your website. Now when you have the name, email, you can even ask for a phone number, you're, then your sales guys can follow up, email them, see if they're interested. You'll collect a lot of leads. A lot of them won't be qualified, but a portion will. You'll actually make a ton of revenue for this. And this strategy works. Just look at me. I blog on Forbes now, Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc., Fast Company, all these sites because I use this strategy. But I'll give you one little advice. Don't try to do that tactic with me. I know it works. <laughs> I'm not going to fall for it. Ernie, we have a question from Slido, which is growth hacking in two-sided business models, chicken and egg problem. Yes, when it's a chicken and egg problem, you're going to have to go after both sides. Um, but you can't go after both sides right away. It's funny in which companies will try to get people to, um, let's say if you have a two-sided market, you're looking for advertisers and publishers. It's very hard to growth hack for both of them. So you need to focus on one side of the market first, and you need to artificially inflate the other side. For example, Airbnb growth hacked by taking listings from Craigslist, putting them on their site. That's how they started getting the first listings. And then what they did is they spent money on Google AdWords to get visitors to their website to view those listings and apply. So what I'm getting at is it's, it is two-sided in which they need people to list and they need people to come and pay for the listing, right? Like uh, to go and stay in someone's place. But it's hard to growth hack it for both sides, so pick one. Airbnb decided to pick the growth hack for the listing side and they bought the traffic. Once you figure out how to growth hack one side and you start getting more of a user base, then you can work on both sides eventually, but pick one at the beginning. We have a question here. Can you stand up? Sure. Hi, Neil. Um, how do you growth hack uh, so offline, so physical products like socks, for example? Oh, my God. I actually have a great example of socks. I used to buy a shitload of socks. I had like a five chest drawer of socks. Like I was obsessed <laughs> with them. And most people would send them for free because on my about page, I used to put how I like fun, happy socks. No more. I just wear gray now. But I used to have like all these socks with different patterns. And I think uh, over time, people sent me around like 1,000 to 1,200 free socks, which is a lot. Um, but I actually figured out the trick to uh, hacking the sock market. Instagram, it's super popular, right? You know how many, do people, guys buy your socks or girls? Guys. 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 Okay, you know how many guys are perverts and creeps on Instagram? A lot. They're just looking at pictures of girls and they're just going like, 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 like. And, uh, you know, a lot of the guys, even if they have wives or girlfriend, they'll look at the pictures. They won't click like, but they'll look, 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 right? So what you can actually do, and I've had a buddy test this out, a lot of these models on Instagram don't make any money. They just take pictures, a uh, selfie. These girls made selfies popular, right? They just take selfies of themselves doing a duck face in the mirror like... Picture, okay? Give them free pair of socks. I've seen people do this like nice laundry and even like $5, $10, they'll be like, oh my God, you gave me socks. 
I'm going to post these socks on my website, on my Instagram profile. And they mention it. And my buddy started doing this. He started getting 1,600 visitors a day from Instagram just by giving girls free socks. And in sales, I think he was making something like uh, an extra like $26,000, $28,000 a month in profit from sales from Instagram. Try it out. It'll work. He could scale it up. You can probably get it to a few hundred thousand now because there's so many more perverts on Instagram and hot girls. <laughs> uh, uh, um, next question. Sorry. Are you laughing? Because that's what, it, are you on Instagram? <laughs> Thank you. That, that's a video. No, thank you. <laughs> no. Um, so the next question had like 22 upvotes. How do you grow hack or grow hack the app downloads in the app store? Do you want the legitimate answer or the shady answer? Shady, shady. Um, through Mechanical Turk, you can get a shit ton of upvotes for dirt cheap, and you'll actually skyrocket to the top of the app store. Check it out. Mechanical Turk, have you guys heard of that? Uh, it's a place where there's people all around the world who are looking to make a penny, literally one penny, and they'll, you can pay them like uh, a fraction of a penny. Uh, I don't know what you call it in Europe. I know in, in uh, London it's a pent, right? Pent or something like that? Cents here. Cents. Okay, so it's a cents. You can give people like uh, one cent for five upvotes. Like it's that dirt cheap. And people will go and just like your product, upvote it, download it, etc. All on the app store. Check it out. The legitimate way, I don't want to sound shady, so I'm going to give you the legitimate way as well. Um, with upvotes... It comes down to actually partnering up with other people. Some people think, oh, you get a lot of press, you'll get upvotes and stuff like that. Usually in-app usage creates good upvotes. So as you're using your application, you say, hey, have you upvoted? If you upvote it, we'll give you more coins, we'll give you more, more features, whatever it may be. The other thing you actually want to do is there's other applications out there in which they'll promote your product and upvoting it and rating it and leaving comments if you pay them. And that's a great way to skyrocket your App Store ranking. It's expensive, though. Mechanical Turk is kind of the cheaper solution. <laughs> I hope this is not recorded, and I hope so. No, no, don't, Apple don't worry. See it. Just on live stream. But... Uh, okay, even better. <laughs> hey, Neil, I'm Peter. Uh, do you have any gross hacking tips for uh, B2B hardware businesses? Yes, what kind of hardware? Um, it's called uh, Mini Brake. It's a remote-controlled bike brake for kids. We, we plan to go to retailers and get into their business. Like bikes, like a bicycle. I'm going on the street pedaling? Yeah. But yeah, that's right. As a kid, why would I want a bike brake? I want to keep going faster. <laughs> it's not for the kid. It's for the parents to, to keep them safe. Uh. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> I was that kid... Like, who's going off at jumps and stuff. I saw this scar from the tarmac, like the road. I was, I was watching X Games, and my, I didn't wear a helmet, and I just, my chin kept scraping on the pavement. This but, is totally safe, don't worry. Yeah, I should have probably used it. My bone was showing. It was bad. <laughs> but I loved it. If my parents had a break, I would have been crying. But I like getting hurt and having fun. Nonetheless, in the B2B world, bicycle shops... So you're a customer, you want to get more bicycle shops to include your product, correct? 
what I would actually do is, there are companies with your user base. For example, Yelp, right? I don't know if Yelp is popular in Europe. They have a big directory of bicycle shops. I would hit up companies like Yelp. I would hit up other uh, bicycle fan bases. There's like bicycle groups. Amsterdam, bicycles are really popular. Did you know bicycles have the right of way in Amsterdam? I was walking and a bicycle guy ran me over and got mad at me and I was like, shit. That's a whole different topic. I wish you know, I could push a button and he was breaking. <laughs> but what I would actually do is get to those people who have those groups, bicycle groups, uh, shop groups, the Yelps who have a list, and I would actually crawl them, scrape them, and actually get the email addresses for all these people or make a list. Mechanical Turk, someone, you can pay someone uh, like three cents for every 100 emails they give you of uh, bicycle shop owners. And then what you do is you mass email up and you're saying, hey, this is a good product to have for upselling. It can help make you more money. It'll actually work. Check it out. I've done similar things for like, uh, my buddy had a cleaning business. I did similar things like that. He was selling cleaning products to other cleaners. And we went to Yelp, scraped them all. For, it was a fun experiment. Went to Mechanical Turk, got a list. And people got us the email address. We sent out, I think it was like 16, 17,000 emails. And he generated over a half a million dollars worth of sales over the next 12 months from it. So try it out. It's more of an unconventional growth hack, but it'll work. But we're out of time. Your what does the clock say? There's no clock. Okay, so we're out of time. <laughs> um, so there are two ways, because there, as you can see, there are lots of lots of questions alone, okay. and I'm not even counting people who raise their hands. Um, so there are two alternatives. I, I, I leave you the choice. Option A is, because the next session is actually lunch break, we can do a few more minutes. Your call already ate lunch, so I'm good. O I can option, keep... It's also the audience call. Option oh, yeah, B is, bad. and that's your call, um, for the questions that we don't answer now, would you be willing to, if we send you an email saying these are the unanswered questions, can you just write like short you know, lines and then we post I on a blog do, post? I can do either one. All right. So you guys pick. What did he say? Now, of course. You know, if you ask the audience, you always get the okay, we want it now go. part. Like, okay, only a few more minutes, right? Is that fine? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, what are some underrated channels to use right now to promote your products? I know you guys all know about Facebook, and you think, oh, it's already saturated. It's not. Facebook on mobile ads, one of the cheapest channels. I'm killing it from that. YouTube, man, there's someone in here who already sells analytics, but I'll tell you nonetheless. Um, YouTube, I try to spend 100 grand a month on YouTube ads. I not only am spending money on YouTubes, but within the first 30 days, I'm making enough revenue to pay for more than my actual cost. YouTube is one of my, ROI-wise, YouTube advertising is my number one channel. And do you know why it's underrated? Because you, those videos that people put in front of uh, other videos, no one wants to create them. It takes a lot of work. So we just go to DemoDuck and we would pay companies to make the videos for us and we just shove a shitload of pre-roll ads. Works like a charm. Even for B2B, like we're killing it from that. All right, then I've voted nine times. Growth hacks for developers as target audience. Developers? Yeah. Growth hacks for developers as a target audience. Focus on GitHub, do integrations with them. I would also hit up all the hackathons. The hackathons have big email lists of all the developers. Partner with them because most of them don't make any money. 
and you can actually do some sort of promotion or something with them. And part of it, they have to give you their whole email list, and they'll actually do it, and then you can blast out to their emails. All right, maybe one more question from the audience traditional way. Hi, great presentation. I wanted to ask, how would you uh, address a niche market of uh, urban professionals on the, on the verge of a burnout, people who are suffering from symptoms of mild depression? So, pretty much people who work nine to five jobs. <laughs> yes, no? Uh, overachievers, uh, almost uh, on the verge of a burnout, suffering from mild depression. So you're trying to figure out how to go after them and get them. Yeah, we have a great solution to help them. I found that a lot of these professionals also spend a ton of time on... Uh, ooh, I actually got a good one. Have you heard of Rescue Time? No. It's a free app that helps people track their time and helps them optimize it. It's for overachievers, kind of like your audience. Okay? So Rescue Time has a free tool. You can probably partner with them because they're not that big of a company, but they have hundreds of thousands of users and say, hey, we'd love to do a campaign with you to target all your users that um, are using the application the most. Because the ones that use it the most are probably the most overachievers. Because they're trying to optimize their work output productivity and work get the most done for the amount of hours. And then you can sell products to them and uh, can, you can partnership and give them a rev cut. Check it out. I would do that all day long. Cool, thanks. I'm getting to sign here to close the session. Is that Fine for everyone. I'm not going to be killed or something. All right. So, Neil, first of all, thank you very much, nope. dear audience. Make some noise for Neil. And on a